Grab your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. We've been in a series. Help me out with the name of the series if you can. It's the last weekend of the kingdom cause, kingdom cause. And we've been talking about what it's like to seek first the kingdom of God. And I hope these messages have helped you. And what I asked God in the very beginning, because I'll be the first to tell you that when you just say seek first the kingdom of God, it, it, it feels a little ambiguous. It feels a little bit like, now, how exactly do you do that every day? Um, and it's something that's, you know, it's, it's said a lot in churches, but then how do you live it? And so I'd ask God in this series, like as I was, I said, God, I want you to give me just a, such a practical, simple, easy to follow message, a picture, all application of what this would look like to implement in your life for the crazy radical Christians who will show up on Memorial Day weekend because they want to seek first the kingdom of God. And I always laugh because I think this is the best message in the series, but he always gives me the best messages on like holidays and stuff like that. I don't know why. Well, I, yeah, I do know why. I said, it's, I know why. It's, it's because um, with God, what you want for, he'll supply. No, what, what you need, he'll supply. What you want for, you'll have to seek. And so God doesn't hide things from you, but he does hide things for you. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. And so God sometimes hides his best. I feel like sometimes I do my best work. He gives me the best stuff on the weekends where everybody has an excuse to be anywhere else just to see who's going to show up for the best stuff. So today, if you're wanting champagne and caviar, unless you're Pentecostal or Baptist, grape juice, sparkling grape juice and caviar, <laughs> we still got to edit that. Lord, I'll be getting an email. Anyways, never mind. The point is, spiritually, if you're wanting good food, we got some. And so Genesis 22, this is the story of Abraham. And, um, and so... God appears to this man named Abraham. We, we, we are introduced to him in Genesis 11. Genesis 11, it says his name was Abram. Her name was Sarai. They were married. They were barren. They couldn't have kids. A chapter later, God says, you're going to have a great nation. I'm going to bring a great nation through you. And so here's the promise. 11 years into it, there was no promise. They hadn't seen a baby. Um, and by the way, he said, you got to set out and leave. Hadn't seen a baby. Um, and so then they... Um, decide to take matters in their own hands. And that's how we get Ishmael. And then fast forward another 14 years. And finally, Isaac is born 25 years after um, the promise was given. And, um, and then if you, things kind of are a little bit silent for a while, uh, about somewhere between, between 10 and 20 years, it's really hard to say, but between 10 and 20 years. And then in Genesis 22, now Isaac, we know is a teenager, um, at least a teenager, somewhere that we say between 10 and 20. Um, and so probably older. Um, and God appears to Abraham. He says, I want you to take Isaac on a mountain that I'm going to show you. And then I want you to kill him. Yeah. And, and, and so this is where we're going to pick up the text um, today. And so verse 22 or chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. And then God said, Take your son. By the way, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture to catch you up on your quiet time, but I am going to read it just a little bit fast. All right, so then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom, I, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. By the way, this is where my daughter is named from, Moriah. That's actually the spelling of her name, not like Mariah Carey. Not that there's anything against Mimi, but this is Moriah, meaning... <laughs> God is my, my teacher, right? God is my teacher. Um, that's what her name means. So the region of Moriah, 
Uh, if school wasn't out, I'd call this message schools in session, but that would be anticlimactic and strange. The region where I sacrificed him there is a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. To me, that's incredible. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. I'm not preaching about worship today, but this is the first mention of worship in the Bible. It has nothing to do with music and song and everything to do with heart and sacrifice. Abraham took the word, the wood, took the word, he took the word and the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. See, obviously Isaac is, I know growing up on the flannel board, the flannel graph thing, Isaac was always a baby on the altar, but Isaac actually carried the wood, so he wasn't a baby. Not only that, he talks, right? So he put the wood and placed it on Isaac, and he, and, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went together. And Isaac spoke up and said, hey, Dad. And he said, yeah. And he said, hey, we have here, we've got, you know, fire and wood, but, but where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb. And the two of them went together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. You know there was some interesting conversation, I feel like, in this somewhere that the text doesn't give us for. But then verse 10, then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, don't, don't lay a hand on the boy and don't do anything now. I know that you fear God because you've not withheld your son your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. Come on, Maverick City music, Jireh. And, uh, and to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. <laughs> I don't know what this just hit me on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. If you need provision, don't ask it to come to your place. You find his place. That's a good word for somebody. And so I want to talk about today. I called this message because all the messages in the series just are kingdom something, kingdom success, kingdom purpose. But um, I called this one kingdom chase. And I liked Kingdom Chase, you know, because it's kingdom. I thought about I could call it Kingdom Quest, but Quest kind of takes like, you know, this methodical kind of journey, like maybe I'll find it, maybe I won't. But I like, I like the word chase because chase requires abandonment. If you're going to chase something, you got to abandon some other things, right? You got you to gotta leave some stuff behind if you're going to chase something. And so I called it kingdom, kingdom chase. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. God, we, we are here. You are here. Don't let us miss anything that you have for us or any word that you want to share with us. Like help us to be tuned in and focused just for the next few moments and God speak words of life and transform us in Jesus name. Amen. When I was reading 
when I was reading this, and again, I asked God for essentially a, a like a, I say step by step, because God is never a formula. And the moment you think you've got God figured out, remember, God is unpredictable, but always reliable. And so the moment you think you got God figured out, he changes something. He doesn't change who he is. He just changes something. And so I don't want you to think it's a formula, but I was asking God for a picture of like what, what it looked like to, to seek God first in, in our lives. And Abraham, to me, the reason came to mind is because the similarity between Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and he's like got this great promise, but he says, you're going to have to go to a place that I'm going to show you. In Genesis 22, I mean, it's, it's like God all of a sudden now has this, he's like he's taking the promise back. He's like, but he says, I want you to go to the place that I'm going to show you. And so to me, here is this picture of what it's like to walk with God, whether you're in the beginning of your relationship or whether you've been with God 30 or 40 years, like Abraham had at this moment, that walking with God is about living in the moment of, I'm usually on assignment going somewhere that I don't know exactly where I'm going. And so I have to depend on him to get me there. It's a lifestyle of seeking after God. Like you, you, you find him, but not all of him. Sometimes, you know, you see him, but maybe not all of him. You, you, you move forward in revelation. And so it's a lifestyle to me. Think about this. If you're going to a place you don't know, every step is about seeking the next step. Right? Because like, is that the right step? Yeah, that is the right step. Okay, well, is this the right step? Yeah, that's the right step. Is it? Nope, that's not. Nope, here. Okay, nope, nope, there. You know, okay, here. Nope, nope. Sometimes it feels like we're doing this, right? And then sometimes, you know, and sometimes it feels like the hokey pokey. You put that in, you take that out. You put that in, you take. And so, (laughs) but every step then is about seeking. God gives us objectives and assignments, but remember that he is actually the objective and the assignment. And that God doesn't send us on an objective or on a mission or on assignment apart from him. He sends us on an assignment that actually leads to him, which talks to how infinite God is, that he will join you and guide you to himself. Like he is with you and he is guiding you. And at the same time, he is leading you into him. Does that make sense? And, and so to me, this is that picture of what it's like to seek God first. So four things. We got to get through four points. We got work, y'all. Right. So four things. Write these down. Number one, first thing I see in the text, if you're going to seek first the kingdom of God, you're going to seek after God. Number one, you have to abandon your agenda. What's amazing to me in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, and I think it's more amazing to me in Genesis 22 because of the cost, because of what is required. Like there was a lot required in in chapter 12. Leave your family, leave everything you're comfortable with. Follow me. But now it's take the thing you prayed for that you wanted, that you believed God for for 25 years, and now you've experienced it for 15, 16 years. Now take that and kill it. And Abraham's response to both is the same. Look at verse 3. 
Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded the family donkey, and went. Let's be honest, how many would have slept in? Right? How many have a tendency when God requires something big? How many have a tendency to want to delay just a little bit? Like, God, let's, let's, I appreciate what you're asking me to do, God, but I'm going to take some time and process. <laughs> I'm going to need to book a, a spot with my counselor and kind of think through this just a little bit. God, like, God, I'm with you, but I'm going to need some time to work this out on the inside, Lord. Here's Abraham. Abraham, take the promise, kill it. Early the next morning. That's incredible to me. I wonder if Abraham had plans for the next morning. Like maybe a brunch. Maybe he was going to play golf. How many planners do we have in the room? You like plant? Be honest right now, you OCD people. Get your hands up. How many planners do we have? Okay, so I'm a plan, planner. You know what I know about planners? Is we like our plans. My little girl, Mariah. Um, she's a planner. I can tell you, we got tomorrow planned. We planned it on Friday because she's like, daddy, I need a plan. And I got big plans and like we need a plan. And when she and I have a plan, now the boys, they need plans too, but they are a little bit more flexible sometimes, but we need to, we need a plan because once we have a plan, we have less anxiety. Oh, come on. Don't look at me like, oh, it never happened to me. I'm just saying, <laughs> Shush. And so I wonder what Abraham had planned for the next morning. And then he just scraps it. Because you know what I know about planners? Because I am one. When we have a plan, do you know the hardest thing for us to do once we have a good plan? Oh, I don't like that at all. I had a plan. You just messed up my plan. You are the devil. I'm just not that bad. But the point is, it is not easy to abandon your plans. But yet, this is what it's like to seek God, is that when we seek God, we allow God to set our daily agendas. We allow him to, to make the plans. And, and seeking God first means you're going to give him permission to interrupt your plans. You're going to give him permission. See, I, I, think, I think one of, I want to say this as nicely as I can because I never want to offend anyone. Not like, honestly, if I offend you, it was never on purpose. And I'm sorry, I'll just apologize in advance because I never want to offend anyone. Um, but, but I'm afraid that modern Christendom and modern Christianity is, is more of a self-help gospel and what now I'm not trying to hate on it. Like I'm not knocking anything because I do think, I mean, we cast our cares on him, right? He takes our burdens. So God wants to help you with life. He wants to help you with your stuff, right? So I'm not saying God doesn't care. God cares about every detail of your life, but just hear me out when I say that, that while there's an application, while it's a part, it's not the whole, it's not complete because the truth is if we're not careful, we'll start thinking the gospel is about how we invite God to help us with our life instead of inviting him in to help us live the life he created us for. And those aren't always the same thing. And so we're not careful. 
we will pray the prayers and quote the scriptures that are about God helping me with what I want with sincerity and good motives and some of it's really good stuff when when the truth of it is God does help us, but he wants to help us live the life he called us and created us for, not help us. He wants to help you live the life he wants, not the life you want. And so this is where we have to then give God permission to upset our apple carts a little bit and, and, and to seek after his will. So Jesus is telling us how to pray. And he says, um, you know, when you pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's, it's great because when we're talking about, okay, how do, I, how do I get God's kingdom here? I mean, that feels a little ambiguous. We're usually taught more religiosity. And what we've discovered in this series is all about this kingdom. And so how do I get, like, your kingdom come? Like, how do I do that? And what does that look like? It's great because the next phrase is almost repeating the phrase that he just stated in that your kingdom come, your will be done. Those are actually somewhat synonymous because God's will is to bring God's kingdom. And so if you're seeking God's kingdom, it really means that you're seeking God's will. And when God's will is first, his kingdom will be. So if you're sitting like, I want to seek God's kingdom first, how do I seek God's kingdom first? Seek his will first. But seeking his will means sacrificing yours. It means opening up your day planner, not that we have those anymore, but opening up your calendar app and saying, here was my plan for tomorrow, but do I need to leave out in the morning and sacrifice something? That, that, that is what it is to, to put him, for, look, what, look what James says. James kind of says, he preaches the same sermon just a little bit more efficiently and effectively. But James says this in James 4.13, he said, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to the lake, going to hit up the pool, going to throw some burgers and dogs on the grill. And he says today and tomorrow you say we're going to go to this city, we're going to spend a year there, we're going to carry on some business, we're going to make some money. And then look at verse 14. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And he says, what is your life? It's like a, it's like a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. And then look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. It says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And this is what he's saying. He's like, hey, you want to live for God? You want to see the kingdom of God? Then, then ultimately, ultimately, you have to pursue his will above your will. Ultimately, you've got to check in with him and say, God, what is, what is your will? Because you are, like when we talk, we talked about in this series how you're chosen, and you're predestined. And those are, those are very powerful words when you say them out in the Bible in, in how like you're chosen by, like you didn't choose God. You're here because God chose you, right? And then God predestined you. That means he pre-ended you, that your life is not left to happenstance. God actually started at the end and then moved back to the beginning and he created you to live a life that, that he planned for you. And so God has this good life and these plans and this hope and this future. And so those are powerful words. But look at what Paul says when he's talking to the Ephesians who were chosen and predestined because he said we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in the conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were first who first put our hope in Christ 
might be for the praise of his glory. Look what he said. We were, we were chosen and predestined according to his plan and will. That God chose you and God predestined you based on your, your fulfilling his will. That it was actually because God has this plan and because God has this will, then he has. So, so, so God predestined you and he chose you not based on yours, but his. And so now the battle that we fight most of the time as, as believers is the battle of will. Whose will is going to win? Right. Whose whose will is. And, and truthfully, like I've heard people say, God just wants you to to surrender your will. And sometimes that can be a little bit confusing. And even I said it like you got to surrender your agenda. What does that mean? Because it's not that God doesn't want you to have a will. It's that God wants you to use your will, your volition, your your choice to choose his will. So the power of your will is you get to choose his or not. Right. So in the garden, God says to Adam and Eve, there's a bad tree and there's a good tree. I want you to choose the good tree. He didn't ask them to not have a will. He asked them to align their will with his and aligning their will with his would have produced life. Abandoning his will and choosing their will over his produced death. Same choice we fight. God's not trying to get you to pick between right and wrong. He's trying to get you to pick between death and life. And the way you do that is by choosing to align your will with his will. And the reason, and the reason you do that, the reason you do that is because his will is always better than your will. Like if you don't know that yet, like I've learned this and it doesn't always make it easy in the moment because when God's asking you to put something on the altar and kill it, it's never an easy moment. But if you can come back to understanding that, that God's not a taker, he's a giver and his will for you is always better than your will for you. Jesus fought this same battle in the garden. It's one of my favorite examples of this, honestly, because if you go old school King James and you go back to the Bible and, and it has this word, that's three words, but all in one, because if you're writing biblical text, apparently you can just mush them together. And for me, I invent a lot of words. So I think that's so cool. And so, but it's this word because Jesus is praying in the garden and he's like, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. And then he uses this three in one. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, nevertheless. And you know what? I, I love that because you know what Jesus is saying? My will will always be less and your will will never be less. So help me to pick your will. Amen. Your will for you will always be less than his will for you. So help. This is, this is the battle. So can you, can you lay that down? Can you lay down that plan, lay down that agenda and say, just help me Lord to choose your will. If his will is first, his kingdom will be. Amen. Here's the second thing. Embrace the mystery. Oh, if you're a planner, you hate this one. In verse 2, God says, he says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, go to the region of Moriah, and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Like, is this not the equivalent almost? Does it feel like, like, we don't do this anymore. I never did this with my kids, so don't call CPS. Um, but remember old school, how they used to talk about someone's going to get a spanking, so they would send them out to pick the switch themselves? Isn't it kind of this how this feels? Like, you got to go kill what you don't want to kill, but then I'm going to make you search for it. Like, I'm not going to drop you a map pin. Oh, no, that'd be easy. 
I'm I'm going to make you look for it one step at, at a time. I'm I'm going to cause you to step into the un come on frozen into the unknown into the unknown. Anyways, um, I won't be on Broadway anytime soon. But anyways, it's that like God calls us like following God. You know. One of my favorite things here is, Pastor, Pastor, I just don't understand. And then I say, you're doing it right then. Because you don't understand. If you understood, you wouldn't be doing it right. Because God doesn't call you into the known. He calls you to leave the town of known and head for the town of unknownville. And then you say, well, where is the town of unknownville? And he's like, I'll show you when you get there. Like, I don't even give you a map to get to Unknownville. It's not on a map. Because God calls us to, to embrace mystery. Look at Paul again to the Ephesians. He says, having made known, one version says, this one, Ephesians 1.9 says, making known to us the mystery of his will. Oh, God, I'm going to abandon my agenda. I'm going to seek your will. And this way he said, oh, great. Seek my will because it's a mystery. Like the moment you want to seek God's will, you step into the unknown. Isn't that crazy? You would think the moment you say yes to God, you step into the known. But the moment you say yes to God, you step out of the known into the unknown. There you go. We're going to get a sing-along going before long. And you're like, but I need to know everything. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Sorry, so dumb. These are the jokes, people. And so God, God um, calls us into mystery. Now, let me, let me um, help you with something. There are two things. There's like this equilibrium in the life of a believer. That is the relationship of mystery and revelation. So with Abraham... He, Abraham's living in the known, in the revelation, which was he didn't know God at all. God speaks to him and immediately creates revelation. I'm God and I want you to do this. Okay, how do I do this? You go to a place that I'm going to show you. And then in that moment, God created mystery. And the way God works in our lives is he very seldom uses, he very seldom keeps revelation and mystery the same. God increases mystery to increase revelation. And the moment we step into revelation, find revelation, he increases mystery again. Um, when, when Paul says, having made known to us the mystery of his will, having made known, having made known, that word is the word we get apocalypse from, from the Greek. It means an unveiling. So what he's saying is, God has a will, but he unveils it a segment at a time. So it's not that God's will doesn't exist. God's will for you exists. And you're like, but I don't know it. That's because he hasn't revealed all of it. He reveals it a little bit, having made known to us the mystery, 
having made known. So God will make something known. But the problem is God causes us to step, then makes it known. Now we have this balance of revelation and mystery. So what does God do? Increases mystery again. Abraham, I want you to go. I'm like, oh God, revelation. Yeah, but I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. Oh, mystery. Then he finds the place. Then Isaac comes. Then, then you know, 15 years later, he's like, oh, take Isaac. What's he doing? Increasing mystery again. I don't understand. Why would he ask me to kill the promise? This doesn't make sense. God answered none of those questions. He said, I want you to step into the mystery of it. Like if you're going to seek the kingdom first, you're going to have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Because your calling starts where your comfort ends. And so you have this mystery and, and, and revelation. And you know what, what those, oh, this is so good. All right. Do you know why, you know what those produce? Two things. Mystery. Mystery produces dependence and discernment. Let me explain. So in the natural living of life and growth and development and all that, as you get older, you become more independent, right? Because if you've ever had a baby, they can't do nothing for themselves, right? They can't feed themselves. They can't change themselves. They can't clothe themselves. They can't bathe themselves. Sometimes they can't calm themselves down. Like they can do nothing. Because why? Because they're completely dependent. Why? Because they're not immature. They're not mature. They're immature. Right? In the maturation of life, they then get to where they bathe themselves and clothe themselves and feed themselves. And then one day they grow up and want to leave your house. Right? And then we all freak out. Now we knew it was coming. Because, it, you know, it wouldn't be natural for us to still be feeding. Like, Luke is 19. Like, if he's like, Dad, you need to feed me, that's going to get awkward real quick. Like, I'll Venmo you some money. You can drive through, but I'm not about to feed you. Right? But the problem is what works in the natural, we apply to the spiritual. In that we feel like the more mature we become, the more independent we get of God because we've figured some things out. And the same thing that's in the natural, if we're not careful, is applied in the spiritual that, that because we know some verses and some songs and we kind of know some things about God and all of that is good, but it can cause us to grow more independent of God. And God doesn't want, a, he didn't create you to be independent from him. Being independent from him is how Adam fell in the garden. So God actually, I guess the reciprocal or it's, it's spiritual, spiritually it should be the reciprocal or the in, inversion of that in that God actually, as if you mature appropriately, you actually become more dependent upon God. So, so the goal in spiritual maturity is not to become independent, but more dependent. Like used to, I just needed to pray every now and then. Now it's like, man, I need to pray about every hour. Because I don't know what to do. Does that make sense? And so what, what mystery does is it, it fosters dependency. Yes. Because if you don't know, you need him. 
if you don't understand, you need him. So when God says, I'm taking you on this place to this thing and you embrace the unknown, now every step you need him because you don't know where you're going. You kind of know what the objective is, but you don't know how to get there. So mystery increases dependence. It also increases discernment in that when, when you don't know the next step, you have to depend on God for every step. The reason God won't drop you a map pen and tell you how it turns out and where it's at is because you would leave God behind and try to do what God's called you to do without him. And remember, he is the assignment. The assignment is in him. So he's not going to call you to do it without him. He's real big on partnership. He wants you to do it with him. And so because of that, if he only gives you turn by turn instruction, you have to keep depending on him. But also, spiritually speaking, your senses have to be heightened. Because look at Abraham. He's like, go to a mountain. I'm going to show you. Here's Abraham. Is that the mountain? No, that's not the mountain. Is that the mountain? No, that's not the mountain. So and I don't know, it doesn't say exactly, but at some point, Abraham finds the mountain. He's like, this is the mountain. Listen, better than the place is the ability to discern the place. Because you could be in the right place and not know it. Better than the place is the ability to discern the place, which happens through mystery because mystery creates dependence, but it also creates discernment because we have to discern the will and the way of God. So surrender your agenda, embrace the mystery. And here's the third thing, stay on the altar. Genesis 22, 9, it says, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Have you ever noticed that with God, he sometimes doesn't make sense? Has anyone else had this epiphany any time lately, like in the last four minutes? <laughs> Isn't it interesting how God will give you something in one season and then ask for it back in another season? That he will bless you with something in one season and ask you to give it in another season. He will put something in your hands in one season and take it from your hands in another season. Like, isn't that interesting about God? Like, I remember when I started out in, in, in uh, ministry, and I was young, I was 20 something years old, 22, 21, somewhere there. And um, I'm 27 now, and so <laughs> your laughter is a little painful. I've been in ministry like 20 years, so obviously I started when I was seven. <laughs> and if you're sitting here doing the math, like, really? You're just 27? You are my favorite person today. <laughs> if you think I look 27, I love you. But I remember, um, short version, I remember, you know, I was starting out in ministry. I wasn't making a lot of money. I believe God wanted to bless me, increase me. I believe the word of God. And, and I remember God, long story short, long story short heard about a car that they, these people want to sell for like $2,500. And I'm like, I know that car is worth about $4,000. So I'm going to buy the car, flip the car. And, and so through, you know, through just a series, really wasn't that big a deal. I ended up buying the car for $2,000, like 
five days later sold the car for four thousand dollars so obviously i had two thousand dollars profit which back then that was a lot of money for me like two thousand dollars so i get like all like two thousand dollars praise the mm, god you have blessed me look at this money you put in my hands i'll be a good steward to put it in the savings account and then I was so excited. I thought, God, I just, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to, not only am I going to tithe, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give 20%. I'm going to tithe off the gross and not just the, the net, if you will. And, and so I'm going to give a $400 tithe, which was really a, like a double tithe, honestly. But I was just so excited about that. And so I was like, oh God, mm, I'm going to do this. Praise the Lord. Mm, praise the Lord. And so I give that offer. I'm so excited. Woo. And I got $1,600 in my savings account that I didn't have before. I'm like, oh, this is just, this is just, this is just amazing. God, you have blessed me and you have given me this. And like four days later, I'm praying and God says, I want you to give me a thousand dollars. And he spoke to his emissions project. He wanted me to give it to I'm like, but you just gave me this. <laughs> like, are y'all tracking on my and so then I did math. I'm like, okay, God, I'll write a $600 check because that would be $1,000. And God said, that's not what I said. <laughs> but God, you just gave it to me. Yes, and now I'm asking you to give it to me. Now, the great thing is when I said, yes, God gave me a promise that I'm still living out today financially in my own life. There's a blessing that's been upon my life ever since um, that came through that. But it was just weird in the moment because it's like you put it in my hands and then you took it out. <laughs> and it's just crazy that 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 God wants us to live on the altar which means everything we have has to stay on the altar too. Like, I don't have time to preach it, but I'd love to talk to you just a minute about selective sacrifices. About how we put things we're comfortable putting on the altar, but other things maybe we leave off. You know, like how we're, you know, how we're good giving God our Sunday morning, but not our Friday night. I wish sometimes y'all could see me, like see what I see. Like I'm one of these days I'll preach with a GoPro on my head just so you can get that. Like I can put it up on the screen just because, you know, you say something and be like, hmm, dodge. And I don't know if they're playing. I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit or dodgeball. I don't know what it is. But, you know, and, you, you know, and then you see, anyways, um, the chicken wing. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, I would just, I mean, I don't want to get into your business or anything, but just talk about sometimes how we're comfortable giving God parts of our life. And sometimes, like, <laughs> we'll give God our, our public posts, but not our private problems. Like, <laughs> like sometimes we'll give God our serving, but not our money, or we'll give an offering, but not a tithe, or... Like, there's just things that we're comfortable. And, like, if we're going to live on the altar, that means everything. And you know what I found with God? Usually the thing that God wants on the altar is the thing you're holding more tightly than him. Right? And God has this knack for finding that thing. Have you ever noticed that? Like God has a way of finding the thing that you're holding on to more tightly than him and saying, hey, I don't think that's, I haven't seen that on the altar lately. And you're like, yeah, I know. And then you enter selective bargaining with God 
where you want to talk to God? Is this just me or y'all have this too? Where you want to see? Because then I like to remind God of all the things that I have on the altar. Right? When he's asking for something I don't have on the altar, I like to run through the list of all the things I have. Is anybody else? Don't lie to me. You help me work this out. We are in this together. But I will run through the list. I'm like, God, I'd just like to start back in 1984 when, um, <laughs> when I put my Gerber baby food on the altar. And anyways, you know, and I, you know, my, my favorite rattle. And so, um, but you, you know, you like to, to run through the list and like God is totally unimpressed in that in the moment because he is just after the thing that's in danger of taking his place in your life. The crazy thing is this, the text starts out some time later. And when you read the biblical text, you're going to see this. I can't prove it other than just to point you to the text because something could have happened that's not recorded in the text. But there is not a conversation that you can find between God and Abraham for nearly 20 years. Some time later, I mean, you see, I mean, the year before Isaac is born, there's this incredible conversation, and then we find out Isaac is born, and then we don't see any other real interaction between Abraham and God for nearly 20 years, and it says some time later, and I think what God said, oh, you got a little bit too infatuated with the promise, like I gave it to you, and now you're all focused on it, and you're not being sensitive to me, and you're not seeking after me, so the only thing I know to do is to ask you for what I I just gave you because I'm trying to draw you back to me. And so I'm going to ask you to put on the altar whatever is in danger of taking my place. Now here's, let me just say this. This is a great thing though. Here's the promise. We got to go on. We got to finish this. God will never ask you for something that doesn't bring you closer to him. Now that's the promise. God will never ask you for something that doesn't bring you closer to him. All right, here, here's, the, here's the fourth thing. So, so we have to surrender our agenda, embrace the mystery, stay on the altar, fourth, fourth thing, keep your head up, keep your head up. Um, it's like playing, playing baseball. Keep your head up, keep your head up. Um, Genesis 22, 13, Abraham looked up and he saw a ram in the thicket. Abraham looked up, looked up, looked up. Um, keep your head up. It's understanding that God's last word will not be his last word. Amen. That his last word is not his last word. The last word you have is not the last word he will speak. Keeping your head up is maintaining a posture of seeking where we're always searching for the will and the way of God. And this is incredibly, incredibly important because if, if we're not careful and we, we don't say, I think, okay, let me give you two sides of this. So here's two mistakes that we make. The first mistake we, we make is not doing what he last said to do. Right. right. So like if you feel stuck and, and like is this, you take this in my, you know, short life of, <laughs> not really. Anyways, in my life of things I've learned in conversation I've had with people say, you know, I feel stuck. I don't feel like God's speaking, et cetera. One of the first questions, like, like a good doctor trying to diagnose the problem I will ask is, what did you do with the last thing God told you to do? 
It's a good place to start. It may, it may or not, may or may not ring true, but it's like in my own life when I'm like, gosh, you know, I just feel stuck. I'm not sure what's going on. I always go back and say, now, what was the last thing God told me to do? And have I done that? Because you can't listen. God is a now God. Okay. The only way to get to next is to embrace now. Faith is always in the now. Hebrews 11, now faith. Faith isn't in the then, and faith is not necessarily in the will be. In the will be is hope. Faith is now. Faith is the substance of what will be. Right? So faith is now. Hope will be. Right? So I need hope, right? Because I need faith. And faith is the substance of what I hope for. So I have hope, therefore I have faith. Faith is a substance, substance is now. So, so God is always now. So he has a now word. He has a today word. He's always in now. Now we always want to get to next, but you will never get to next until you embrace now. Until you do now, until you believe now, until you trust now. That is how you graduate to next. And sometimes when we don't like now, we just start looking for next. And God's like, no, 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 no. We can't go to next till we get now. Are you with me? So one of the things that, that we're guilty of sometimes is that we get stuck because we didn't do what God last told us to do. Because remember, we needed some time to process it and to think about it because we weren't sure about it. Like, God, I'll come back to you on this. We'll, we'll talk about this again. And we left it there and we forgot about it. And now we're stuck. So that's one thing. The other thing we do is we think God's word that he spoke yesterday is the last word, and we never look for what is next. We stop looking for what is next, and we cling to what was yesterday. Have you ever been around people talking more about their history than their destiny? Still living in their history? And you think about this with Abraham, had, had, he, had he stayed fixated on history, on yesterday's word, he would have killed something God wanted to live, and he would have missed something God wanted him to see. So having been obedient to now, he had to keep his head up to look for next. If you're living still on yesterday's word, you could be missing today's revelation. And, and if you're stuck in your history and not your destiny, you could be sacrificing things God doesn't even want sacrificed. And so we have to keep our head up and be looking for what God is going to do. See, when Abraham, think about this, he's down at the foot of the mountain and he tells his servant, it's an incredible statement when he says, y'all wait here, we're going to worship. And he says, the boy and I will return. We will return. Now, I know he's embracing mystery because there is no instruction about how this is going to work out. There, is, there, there are no, like, there are no clues, no context clues. Like God didn't say offer him and then I'm going to raise him up. God did Abraham doesn't know how it's going to work out, which is what I think caused him to keep his head up, to keep listening. See, this is why you want to grow in sensitivity. 
Because Abraham is operating under the word that he has and pulls it back. And the, Amber, the angel says, wait. So important we grow in sensitivity to God and discernment and discerning the place and hearing the voice of God. And Abraham stops and he looks up and there in the thicket is a ram. And so we don't know what Abraham had loved. Like when we get to heaven, I'm like, I got questions. Because I'd love to say, what were you thinking? Like, were you betting on a resurrection? Were you thinking, like, what were you thinking? Because you said you're going to come back. And I think what Abraham says, I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I just got to keep my head up. Because here's what Abraham knows. <laughs> that God's objective wasn't Isaac. God's objective wasn't taking Isaac. It was giving Abraham revelation. See, when I don't, when it doesn't make sense and when I can't see and when I can't figure it out, like following God means that, that I don't, I can't trust in what I know or what I see. I have to trust and I can't even trust in what he's asking me to do I, as much as I trust in him. And when I trust in him, then I can do what he's asking me to do that I don't understand knowing it's going to lead me to a place that he wants me to be. The objective wasn't Isaac. The objective was re revelation. The assignment was a means to an end to get Abraham not to kill his son, but to get Abraham to trust God so God could bring him into a new revelation. And so the whole time Abraham is walking up, this is so good, because what you need to understand, write this down, God never leaves you with less. Are they down? Because the whole time Abraham is walking up this side of the mountain, God is walking a ram up this side of the mountain. And Abraham's walking. He's like, I don't see anything. We're climbing this mountain. I don't see anything. We're climbing. I don't know what God's going to do. But I think Abraham's looking like, I know he's going to do something. I just don't, like everything tells me he's going to do something. I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm going to carry out the word. I'm going to embrace them. Surrender my agenda. I'm going to embrace the mystery. I'm going to, I'm going to put Isaac on the altar, but the whole time I'm going to keep my head up because God's not done. And he looks up. And there's a ram. And then there's a revelation. Abraham, I always provide a revelation that marked him, a revelation that changed him, changed the trajectory of his life. God always provides. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? Can you surrender your agenda? Can you embrace the mystery? Can you live on the altar? And can you keep your head up? God's always working. He's always leading. He's always revealing. He's always providing. Amen. Can you give him praise today in his house? And why don't you stand with me God we thank you so much for your goodness God and your grace
for your presence, for your love. God, thank you that you never give up on us. And thank you that you call us. And you call us into the unknown, but it's unknown for us, but not unknown for you. God, help us to live seeking your kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done. Will you take a moment before we get out of here and with your heads bowed, will you ask God just what he's saying to you today? And even if you're online, don't tune off. It's probably the most important thing. Just ask God, say, God, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? God, I just pray you speak to every person. You know, maybe it's one of these points. Maybe it's like, hey, it's time you surrender your will. And maybe it's, maybe it's time you say, hey, embrace that mystery. Or, hey, maybe I need you to put something on the altar. Or, hey, you've been really faithful, but keep your head up. There's something coming. There's something I have next. And God, I just pray you speak to every person. And, and while we're listening and you're listening and at home you're listening, want to give anyone who who needs a relationship with God. Maybe it is like I need to surrender my plan. Maybe it's I need to just surrender my life. And truthfully, I've just kind of been doing my thing and I don't, maybe you don't have a relationship with God. I pray for you if you, if this weekend, like it, it, I do every weekend, but those who don't have a relationship with God that you would just know that, that it, you'd feel a nudge, you'd feel a tug, you'd feel something inside that says, hey, it's me, it's God. I want a relationship with you. If that's you, I just want to pray for you, whether you're in this room or you're watching online. And so no one looking around right now, but if that's you and you're like, you know how to feel that, I just need to surrender my life. I need to give my life to God. I want to live the life he has for me. If if that's you, I want to invite you. Again, no one's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way if you're in this room, but even if you're online, I want you just to lift your hand where you're at. Even if you're in a room all by yourself online, lift because it's about God. It's not about me, but just lift your hand and say, God, that's me. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Awesome. God, that's me. I need a relationship with you. And then I just want to pray for you. And, and you can, you you pray your version of this prayer. The words are not as important as the heart and the faith, but it would be this, something like this, where you just say, God, I believe in you. And I believe in your son, Jesus. And I believe that he died and he rose again for me. And I ask you, God, to forgive me, to cleanse me. I want a relationship with you. Make me, as your word says, a new creation. Help me to follow you. And God, I pray that for them. They would sense you in this moment. God, you'd reveal yourself to them. You would lead them, guide them, help them, God, to follow you. And God, for all of us, help us to seek your kingdom first. Help us to to live in pursuit, chasing with abandonment after your will, your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come, and we end all of our worship experiences with a time of prayer. So if you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. Um, If you're online, you can text my pathway prayer to 77977 and we'll get in touch with you to pray for you. Everyone else, we, I love you. Have an incredible weekend. Celebrate, eat some good food, get some rest. 
have fun, and we will see you next weekend. Also, don't forget to pray for our servicemen and women. We'll see you next weekend. God bless you.